Hi everyone, uh, my name is Dan and I'd like to welcome you all here today. This is a talk being hosted by the UWA Christian Union. It is the last of five talks in our Y series that we've been running over the past two weeks. Uh, through these talks we've been looking at some big questions about God and about Christianity. Now it doesn't matter if you've been able to not join us for any and this is your first time or if you've been with us for the past two weeks, I'd like to welcome you all here this afternoon. Shortly we'll be looking into, we'll be delving into the themes of science and religion as we consider how God and science might actually be closer to each other than you might think. Joining us today is Professor Harvey Miller who will be sharing about this topic. Harvey's like to join us at the front. We'll take an opportunity to get to know you a bit better. As a brief background, Professor Miller started out with a Bachelor of Science completed his PhD in plant biochemistry and molecular biology at the Australian National University. He is now the director of a major research team where he, yeah, that looks at plant energy biology. Thank you for joining us here today. Thanks very much. Now, though you, we've said that you, you studied at ANU, right now you're a professor here at UWA. Can you tell us what led you to decide to go to a better uni? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to, um, no, I I think the, uh, the reason to come to UWA was actually a reason to move back to Australia from the UK. So I was at ANU, we were there in the UK for a little while, and uh, UWA was moving back to, back to Australia. Um, and UWA is a great university, and although um, there's a lot of interest in the ranking and assessment of universities, universities really are who they are at the time, and a lot of those rankings are about history and, and type of things. So, um, and it's a great university, and UWA is one that's going to be there. All right, so right now you're living in Perth. Now, when you're not being a professor, when you're not leading a research team, what do you get up to in your spare time? Well, I used to spend a lot of time as a taxi service for my um, daughter, um, who's just got her piece. So now, I have no jobs. <laughs> um, I really enjoy gardening. I have a large garden, so I spend a lot of time, and that's really where... I'm a plant scientist, so at home I try to actually apply that. Fair enough. I've achieved about the same as much as everyone else does, which means regular trips to bunnies to sort of fix all problems. But, um, yeah, so, so gardening would be a big factor. But um, the other thing is, I mean, um, I'm actively involved in the Christian community, so part of North Beach Baptist Church, and so involved in, uh, in, in what happens here on Sundays, in Bible studies during the week, and in that community of people um, living their lives for Jesus in all right. Now, your work is clearly quite entrenched in science, but as you've said, as a Christian, surely there must have been some sort of tension over the years of science, religion, how those weigh up. So can you tell us, when did you first seriously consider the dynamic of what the relationship is between God and science? So I guess as soon as I really thought a lot about science, which I guess is high school, really, um, to sort of be engaging in science, I have a father who's a scientist, so that probably helps as well, but um, I think that... Right back from high school, I've been considering and interested in these topics. And over time, over time, as um, I guess I have a, a perspective on this, which isn't looking at science as something out there. So I, I look at science as a scientist. So I'm on the inside of it. Um, and I can also look at, uh, at God and Christianity, not as a concept, but I'm a Christian. So I experience both. And so I guess my perspective is tailored by the fact that I in both those realms, if you like, and I'm able to um, think about those things as a, as a person who's involved rather than these things as a concept. All right, well, thank you for giving us a bit of insight into your life and what's brought you here today. 
before, he, before you go and speak, I'd just like to let everyone know that there will be a time for questions and answers afterwards. So do think of any questions you might have. There will be a chance that you can present them to him and hopefully you'll have some answers for us. Please join as we listen. Thanks very much. So if I really had the answers, I wouldn't be here giving you a talk, would I? I'd be running the universe or something, right? So I don't really have the answers, but I do have my own perspective, and I can give you some um, uh, thoughts on what I think about um, this topic, and the way in which um, science and God are not things which have to be considered to be a long way apart from each other at all. And certainly in the, in the lives of individuals, they can be things that can be embraced. So, um, why science and God closer than you think? Well, I guess the question that I'm raising with this is, do the two overlap? If you're a mathematician, you're thinking about this in terms of a Venn diagram, can you actually put God in science? Is there a point of overlap? Or are these things that have to be considered completely independently? Indeed, a lot of people might think this. They might think, well, you can be a spiritual person or you can be a science person. And there's really quite distinct things. There are quite distinct kinds of people, if you like. Um, so if you are a interested in theology, or you're just a spiritual person, then you might say, well, there are spiritual laws that produce spiritual events, and that's how I view and, and look at the universe. Or you might say, no, I'm a scientist, so I'm interested in physical laws, and I'm interested in the physical events that arise from those, and I don't see that there's any spiritual realm at all in, in what I'm looking at. So the question is, are those two things completely distinct? Can you actually hold those two things together, and what's the history of um, where science came from, and how it relates to the question of theology and the role of God in the world. So why are you at UWA? It's an interesting question. Um, these are just UWA's um, coats of arms over the years, from 1929 to now. Um, we slowly, um, we, we lost the feet at this point. Um, we messed around a little bit. We, we had some Greek initially. I think in the first one, actually, it's just, if you look at the first one, it's just squiggles. There's actually nothing written on the piece of paper at all. In the second one, there's some Greek that was highly um, contentious at the time to figure out what it really meant, what was really being said. And then we went to Latin, which is a good thing for university to do. And so we have a number of Latin phrases. Um, but the thing that stayed completely constant is seek wisdom. That really is what this university says is its motto. And the question is, as you seek wisdom, in what realms are you allowed to seek wisdom in your own? So if you look at the, uh, at the Latin for the, um, for the original one, when, when this one had legs, um, there were two Latin phrases. One means the literature that makes man more civilised and humane. And the other one is that nature is only mastered by obedience to her laws. And this was really an attempt to try and bring together two parts of the university. Arts and science under one banner, recognising they both seek wisdom, but they seek wisdom in different ways. Um, you might notice with the new logo, they changed it. This didn't seem to be controversial, as this is mine. Um, and what these things really mean is life improved, by thorough knowledge, or something like those lines. So again, it was trying to bridge that idea of what's happening on this campus in different realms, under the banner of seeking wisdom. So are you the kind of person who's here for seeking wisdom, or are you here with an entrenched view that you already had before you came, so you're not really trying to seek wisdom while you're here? Um, and you could equally ask the question, you know, when you were two and you started asking those why questions, are you the kind of person who stopped asking why questions, or are you still asking why questions, which might be why you're here today, or why you're um, undertaking a degree at the university. So, to go back a little bit into the history of science and why this perception um, might be there of the, of the difficulty of science and 
and, uh, and Christianity are getting along. So if you look at the, uh, sort of the history of science, science is really built on the history of Western democracies and a rise of the individual. We can look at that very recently. That's kind of recent um, history of science. If you go back a little bit, you can then start looking at more ancient um, components in the science story. So the, it's a child of the Renaissance, so there was great interest in Greek and Roman thinking, and this also influenced what science was. It was a child of the Enlightenment. It's been a child of the political revolution. It's been a child of the Industrial Revolution in a whole range of ways. It very much presents itself um, as a disruptive force against the old world, whatever you believe the old world to be, although some of those things happened a long time ago. But at its root, you have to say, um, any fair reading of the history of science tells us that science that we understand today, that's practiced in Western democracies, has a Christian root. Um, and it came from a freedom of, of, of researchers to explore the natural world because it was logical with the logic of the logos. That's a strange phrase, but it's basically saying people believed that God was logical, so the world was logical. So you could study it with reason and principle, understanding that you were discovering how God had actually developed it. So that was the principles under which much of science today has actually been built. And we look for laws, and we look for principles, and we look for, for guiding factors in what we see in science we look at. But science is also bucked against institutions. It doesn't like a whole range of institutions, and it um, agitates against them in various ways. But in many ways, it's also become one itself. So this is this sort of complex history of what science is, where it's come from, and where it is today. If you go back and start thinking in those early days where, when, when science was um, evolved, effectively, from Christianity, um, but the idea of, of natural theology dominated. So people accepted that God was in heaven, that um, there were spiritual laws, there were spiritual events, and that these things drove the physical laws and the physical events that we see around us. And this is the way that theology and science then interacted from a perspective in natural theology. Now, natural theology is by no means popular today. But this is where the history of science and religion actually began. So there's a continuing history of science, and that is that um, many scientists will argue that along the way of actually undertaking science, testing hypotheses and doing things, um, science has been able to refine its approach and its testing, and it discovered in the process that God wasn't needed. So the principle here is that physics, chemistry, biology, all of the laws that are developed around that are considered enough to explain the mechanism, the origin, the future, of the universe. So if all that's true, um, then uh, the physical universe's history and its future is its meaning. We are all there is, science will tell you. And therefore, if you're here, you're, you are because you're seeking wisdom, then just look in the mirror. Because there's nothing really else to find other than the physical world around us and uh, in your understanding of that. This really turns the whole process on its head. So here, science puts itself at the top, says, okay, physical laws, physical events dominate. And there it says, okay, then if we look at spiritual laws or spiritual events or human um, theology or human philosophy, then these things are sitting underneath all those physical events. There's still a connection between science um, and theology, but it's done in a, in a reverse order. But is any of that really correct? And I think the fundamental question is, does it really satisfy you? You're here seeking wisdom, you're seeking something, you're dissatisfied with what you have at the moment, you're trying to get somewhere else. Um, so, 
is, has the process of, of finding science actually stopped you seeking wisdom? Because if it has, then, then what you're proposing effectively is that um, there's this notion of science standing alone on the stage of human knowledge and accomplishment, with its eyes closed, arms outstretched, believing that only science is there and there's nobody else contributing to the question of who we are, where we're going, and what we know. But if you're on a campus like UWA, you realise that there's whole areas of this campus which have absolutely no idea what science art is. We're standing in part of that part of the campus. Um, so when you start considering the role of arts, music, literature, law, philosophy, theology, logic, argument, rhetoric, reasoning, all this, this is not science. This is another approach to understanding knowledge. And what we're doing is merging those together in university to seek knowledge overall, because knowledge is not simply caught up in what you can find as a scientific explanation of the problem. So just to go back a little bit, I guess, in terms of the way that I view science from the inside, um, so I see science as something where effectively it's assessing how the world works physically. Uh, it's an iterative process of uncovering mechanisms. It's very empirically data-driven. And if you think about it in spatial and time contexts, and think about all those circles as different kinds of research fields in science, then some things are working on the nanometer scale of nanosecond time intervals. Some things are working at the billions of years scale in light years. Some of those circles are connected, and some of them are not. Some of them are fields which are launched in areas where they don't have much connection to other fields, and some of them are, are deeply connected with each other. And so there's this desire or search for unifying theories. So in physics, you might see, um, so the gut, or a grand unifying theory, is maybe a, a unifying of different kinds of forces, so we can understand physics as a whole. And in biology, the equivalent would probably be, if there is an equivalent, would probably be evolution. As a, as a unifying theorem to kind of understand and place biology in that context. Because science is all about data, you get a distribution of views, a whole range of different views. You have extreme positions and you have the, the sort of core in the middle of what science is. So science will constantly change its views, and science will constantly move forward in an attempt to um, uncover its errors and uh, find new things because of data that it couldn't areas of that, um, that plot time and, and, uh, and space that it couldn't um, penetrate before because of technical reasons. Christianity, on the other hand, um, is different in the sense that it's really not about how the world physically works. It's about relationships between God and humans. It steeps, really, in the arts side, if you like, of this university. It's steeped in history, in literature, in spirituality. It has core reference of the Bible, it has human interpretation of the Bible, and it also has Christian literature, which all connect. Um, so the two things are not the same, um, and they fundamentally pursue different aims in what they're trying to achieve. A little bit about how science works I think is important, especially important in terms of understanding some of the debates that happen in society as a whole. So because science is trying to work out how the world works physically, and it's trying to iteratively uncover mechanisms, um, it has these different series of kinds of literature that are associated with science. So there's a primer literature, um, and we see this as you know, research journals and citation of those articles. Um, there's a secondary literature, which is reviews, where all those things are sort of put together. And there's a tertiary literature, which are basically sort of textbooks. 
And the public and the media and other um, people in, in, in commentary will search through all those different levels and pull out whatever they need at any one point in time to make a case, to make a story, to make fun of something, to, to, to support something. But this is not really how science works. So science work doesn't work by going and cherry-picking pieces from it. It comes from the assembly of that whole body of information, which gives us an overall perspective of what's happening, recognising that there's many observations that are made through the scientific process which are not explainable by many of the, um, the theories and other approaches that we have today to explain science as a whole. Christianity is really, in my view, about relationships between gods and humans, God and humans. Um, it has a primary literature, which is the Bible, which is a fixed reference, which is distinct from what happens in science, because science, the primary literature, is constantly being added to and subtracted from by retractions, which unfortunately happen increasingly regularly. Um, so Christianity has a fixed reference, um, but it has exegesis, basically, by scholars, historians, theologians, to understand what does the Bible actually mean? This piece of literature, what does it mean, and where does it fit into our understanding? And there are also a whole range of other science writers, Christian leaders, um, reference literature, and again, the general media, Christians, um, and others will, will dip into different parts of that, sometimes with the aim of trying to see opportunities for uniting the connection between science and Christianity, and sometimes with the express purpose of showing them to be distinct and showing them to be incompatible. Um, but I think fundamentally they're just two different approaches which are looking and aiming at different things. So I think it's important in the whole debate topic to think about the fact that science and Christianity don't work the same way. Just in the same way that the arts departments in this university do not work the same way as the science departments. Science and Christianity don't solve internal disputes and disagreements in the same way. And I would say science and Christianity are not focused on the same outcomes. So in some senses, they're distinct in what they're trying to do. And they may be distinct in your own life as well. But in other ways, there are linkages and there are opportunities to be thinking about the linkages between them. So why is it that being a Christian and a scientist is perceived and I say perceived because I think the reality is if you look through science departments in this university and around the country, you will find a whole range of Christians operating and working in those departments. So it's certainly not something which is incompatible. But part of the perception, I think, is this history of antagonism. People love to look back at examples of the state or, uh, and, 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 and the church actually interfering in the operations of universities or in the operations of science or in the the presentation of free speech on particular topics. The media love to present the two as opposites because that's just what the media do. There's no fun in saying, scientists and Christians get on fine. New story. Right? Um, I think to some degree there is a general um, Christian misunderstanding of science and what it's doing. Um, some people will want to present science as something which is has an agenda as a group, but scientists don't have an agenda other than prove each other wrong, I can assure you. There's really nothing else going on there other than the the, uh, the headbutting of the egos of people trying to convince other people that they're right, everyone else in science is wrong. Uh, it's also um, the case, I think, that the creation science debate in US schools and the rise of new atheism um, movement, which is opposing that in a variety of ways, is also a point of friction. And there are claimed links between evolutionary thought, the meaningless of life, and social problems in Western societies, which has meant many general populations are worried about changes from a sort of a, a Christian ethos in our societies to, to a, 
an atheistic or an evolutionary ethos, what that is actually going to do to these nuts and bolts to, um, to our societies. So these are all reasons why it's considered to be hard. But I think we have to avoid the notion of this, these polarised views, the idea that um, uh, science and Christianity are two extremes. Really, the reality is that there is a lot of scientific evidence that sits in the middle of all of these topics. Um, but there's this polarisation in the way that the media presents it, in certain debates that are had, whether that be creationism versus evolution, whether that be ethical use of life technology, origins of the universe, all these debates, they can be presented as if they're extremes, when in reality, um, I don't think that, that extreme difference is really there. So is there any kind of solution? Well, in my view, I think there's a need for Christians to be thinking very um, carefully about the way, about exegesis of ancient scripture. Um, the fact that it's complex, debated, linguistically and exegetically debated. Um, so the question of what's the kinds of literature in Genesis 1 and 2, um, how do you interpret other sections of the Bible that quote Genesis? Um, should any of the Bible be taken as a scientific document? Does it need to be a scientific document? Um, who were the audience for particular, particular passages? Who was the author and how was the information provided? These are all normal processes in Christianity and it's one that over time has meant changes in views collective changes in views. This is an ongoing process. The Bible doesn't change, but our understanding and interpretation of it is and should be influenced by the world around us and our broader understanding of the planet on which we live. I think it's also important to remember that you don't always need miraculous, uh, by which I'd say physically unexplainable events, for there to be meaning and purpose in events. And I think there's a perception that people have that if something isn't miraculous, then it doesn't have a meaning and purpose, it's just physics. But I don't think that's true. I think the reality is many things have meaning and purpose even when you can physically explain them. It's also important to realise that there are many things that science can't explain in purpose, in process, um, and it really can't do much with highly improbable events. So these are things where the mechanism is unknown or, it's, or the outcome is very unusual. So explained, improbable, or unexplained isn't true, unlikely, false. It's simply what it is. It's simply that some things are easy to explain, some things are difficult to explain, some things are such at the extreme of what we understand to be normal that we don't know how to describe it or explain it. And these are normal things in science. They're always there. Um, and, uh, and these mean that we don't have to have a view um, as Christians that, uh, that science is presenting a world where God has no... No room to act. He has much room to act, both through the things that are explainable and the things which aren't. So in my, my opinion then, I would say that uh, a Christian who really ignores scientific evidence um, and the answers that it provides um, is, is someone who's kind of missing out on what hundreds of years of human endeavour has taught us about the world in which we live. But equally, it's important to realise that the boundaries of science are complex and debated. When science finds no meaning, and you might look at, say, the evolutionary process, and science might say, there isn't any meaning to this, it doesn't mean there is no meaning. It just means, literally, that science can't find it. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a limitation in science rather than a fact that there's no meaning. And I think when science finds no practical reason to apply ethical constraints, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have any boundaries to our ethics. It's also important to realise that um, 
as much as we might look at Christianity and say, well, it has its own methods which are distinct from science, therefore that's not acceptable. But arts, literature, law, philosophy, all have their own methods which are distinguished from science. And they all operate together on this campus in an attempt to seek wisdom. So Christianity argues that God's view actually overrides human views, and we can discover those boundaries through a relationship with God. So in my opinion, a scientist who thinks science answers every aspect of our lives is probably missing out on thousands of years of human experience and what it's taught us before science was even there. So, what does Christianity offer someone who's actually seeking? We're seeking wisdom. What can Christianity offer in this plethora of opportunities that this university provides? So, in my view, why I'm a Christian, one of the things that I think it offers is it offers purpose to process. So, it's built on thousands of years of humans seeking a coupling between historical workings of God and the world in which we live. If you want satisfaction in relationships with other people, if you want to, uh, um, if, if, in, in both in the way that you live in the world now and also a future life beyond this life, then it does provide answers. It also explains why bad things happen to good people and why good things can happen to bad people. It explains how you can change the way you are to what you might want to be. Um, it joins you with other people in a stewardship of the Earth under the leadership of the Earth's creator in a way that science can't. Um, and it explains the impact of our personal rebellion against God's plans and what he was willing to do to give us a way back, which is really the good news of what Christianity is. So it might be that Christianity offers a whole range of things to a seeker um, who is also a scientist, because um, the two, in my view, are complementary and indeed uh, rather more close So where to from here? Well, in my view, we need constructive conversations between science and Christianity, and those really need to happen not in the media, because the media isn't actually interested in constructive conversations. For it to work, we need to respect each other's histories. Scientists need to, need to respect who Christians are, and Christians need to respect what science is and what science is trying to achieve. Um, there needs to be an understanding of each other's approaches and methodologies for solving uncertainty, and that fundamentally means that patience is Science and Christianity are not going to agree on certain issues in the next 10 minutes. There's also a recognition that um, I think most people would argue that there is, a, there is one reality and we're all living in that reality. So they operate on di different aspects of that same reality. So that's, I guess, recognising the science of Christianity are both based on absolute truth. And so for Christians, that means seeking God's wisdom find it. For scientists, it means building data and testing hypotheses. And for a Christian who's also a scientist, it means doing both those things. So, that's my perspective. Thank you, Professor Miller, for sharing with us. We've now got a time for question and answers. So if you haven't had the chance to already, take the next 30 seconds to chat to the person next to you introduce yourself and see what questions they might have had as well.
if I can gather you back to the front again. You'll now have a chance to be able to present your questions to Harvey. Uh, the simplest way we can do it is if you have a question, you can just raise your hand and then he will call on you to present your question. Uh, as a scientist, what is your definition for uh, a theory, like you know, the theory of gravity, the theory of evolution? What is your definition for that? Definition of a theory? So, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, science is based on a whole range of hypotheses which are tested. And once a hypothesis is tested, um, people would, may well say, okay, this is the theory under which we're operating. And over time, as those are continually tested, they become more and more dominant and become what we call laws, I guess, in science, right? So they, 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 they extend beyond what we would might call an everyday hypothesis to something, or everyday theorem, to something which we say is correct. Having said that, the, um, once you have something which you believe to be correct, you're basically putting a huge target on the back of it in science. Because now it is career building and expensive for someone to prove it wrong. So science is always trying to disprove what it's claiming to be facts, even though it will work as if those facts are true um, based on accumulated levels of evidence. Archaeology, which are science, for sure. Um, but there's certain aspects of archaeology which are, which are not science. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, so I, I, I know some archaeologists who are um, who you would really call scientists, right? Because they approach their archaeology from a scientist perspective. Um, they use a lot of the same technologies and approaches that a scientist would use, and they evaluate the data in that sense. Yeah. But I think there's also people in archaeology who aren't pursuing the discipline from a um, scientific perspective. So it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a nice sort of link up in a sense between different kinds of people's life. Yeah? As Christians, how can we justify explaining like, Big Bang theory and like, science laws and all that? How can you explain them? So I, mean, I guess in my, in my view, they, um, they are the physical universe, our best understanding. Um, what has happened in the physical universe that we have. Uh, the question is, as Christians, how do, we, how do, you, how do you explain them? Um, I think we can explain them from their scientific basis. The question we have as Christians, really, is why were they there? Why did God choose the Big Bang as an approach to actually invent the universe? What was the role of dinosaurs? Right? That is a question I think Christianity can ask. Um, itself, it can ask itself theologically whether these things fit in. Um, but as a scientist, I, I don't um, disagree that these things occur because I think the evidence is, dominates that this is the reality of our physical universe. Um, but I don't think as, as, as Christians we should be scared of the physical universe and the understanding the science has gained of it. Because as Christians we have to realise that um, uh, it's the same world, right? If we, if we believe that God made the world, then this is the world that he made. And science could change its views on anything and everything over time. But many of these things are things that we have to be careful that we don't um, present Christianity in something that it's not, to present the Bible and interpretation of it in a way that it isn't. Um, if you look at history, there were times when the Bible was used to propose all sorts of things, which we now, from flat earths to, to, um, to, to suns revolving around the earth, which now we don't, we don't feel the need to, to, to look at the Bible and, and believe that that's what it's saying. And indeed, people were saying at the time because that was a common belief and they wanted the Bible to justify that common 
Um, I think we have to be careful as, as scientists, as Christians, um, that we don't alienate ourselves from science, which is attempting to understand the physical universe that God also made. Having said that, there are many people who want to make science their God. Right? They want to replace anything else with science. And so they present around science a whole philosophy of the meaning behind science, which isn't really in the science. It's in them. Because wanting meaning is in all of us. Right? So we're all searching for meaning. And so if you're a scientist and you have nothing else other than science, you will find your meaning in science and you'll present science in that way. I think as a Christian we don't need to present our science as the meaning and purpose of the world. It's simply a physical explanation of the world around us. Um, you mentioned in your talk uh, a lot of the stuff happening in America with the New Age atheists and the New Age creationists. Do you think that's start of something broader than what's happening here in Australia, or do you think this is something isolated specifically to, uh, given, given America's history, what with their family Christianity being the Puritans or the New hmm. Do you think that is a big problem that we Look, it's, it's incredibly complicated in America, right? Because it's all about state rights. There's so much other stuff going on as to why that debate is there. Um, it, I mean, and, and, and there are great evangelists for it around the world. I mean, my personal view as a Christian is that um, the creation science movement is not very Christian, right? Um, in the fact that it doesn't really present Jesus to people. It talks about creation, right? And I think that's a problem. I think that's... And, and there's, there's a lot of evidence in, uh, in, in, in the States that the net result of the creation science movement has been a lot of money given to the creation science movement to pay for lawyers to argue with evolutionists, right? And that money directly moves away from the, the, the work of the church in actually um, talking to people about the goodness of Jesus, right? So I don't think um, that it's particularly admirable. Um, will it go around the world? I think it is an American phenomenon, significantly. Um, but, uh, and there's whole parts of the world um, where this is not really a major debate, right? This, this, this antagonism between science and on those issues um, of the physical nature of the universe and its age and so on is not really a major part of the debate. But, um, another one? Yep, go for it. Uh, so you mentioned uh, people would start to treat science I mean, I think that there is nothing, I mean, the theory of evolution, I have no problem with whatsoever. Um, the problem, I think, you have of people who want to be sort of atheistic in the way they present evolution is that they wish to present evolution as something which um, has effectively no purpose, right? So there is, there, there is no aim. And that's not something, that I think, as a Christian that you can agree with. Um, and the reason they do that is that they want, that their, their religion effectively is that, um, that there is no point, basically. So it's a philosophical position rather than a religion, I guess. Philosophical position. There is no point so to the world in which we live. To clarify, when you say that I only mean there is literally, I could say the point of evolution, for instance, is to the survival of the species to continue living, that is the point. But you would say that there is, that there is no point. Like, 
I would say that a lot of evolutionists would say that it's not the survival of the species because of it. it will evolve to something else. So there is no end point of, of, of something. I think also with, um, I think that one of the key things with evolution, which is misunderstood by many people, is that evolution is two processes, right? So it's variation and selection. Yeah? Variation by its nature is quite random. Yeah? And that's all of our evidence from science and science is that the variation process is quite random. Selection by definition is not random. And, and so science will recognise even within the evolutionary theory that we have natural selection, sexual selection, kin selection, you have a whole range of selective forces which have to have to occur in order for us to have what we have today. You can't simply explain the whole world today in terms of natural selection, for example. Right? You have to have a range of different selective forces. Um, and so it's inherently a process of selection, non-random process of selection that's generated the world we have today. Um, and because of that, um, the notion that, that it is heading off towards a completely uncertain future with no boundaries to where it might be, um, I don't think there's really any clear evidence for that other than a notion that the, that the selective forces have no ultimate purpose. And I guess in Christian, I would, my view would be that the selective processes do have ultimate purpose. Sorry, I lost my voice. So would you say that there needs to be a purpose for life? Needs to be a purpose for life. I think there is a purpose for life. Okay. Um, I think if there wasn't any purpose for life, um, I would find it difficult to live. Thank you. If you do have any more questions, Harvey will be around afterwards. Uh, I'd like to thank you again for coming along and yeah, shedding some light on this topic. Uh, yeah, let's give a hand to Harvey again. Thank you.